0: What they found is if you make a value statement, it works better. So, for instance, you might say in that situation, um, I really value honesty and transparency. So I have to share. I don't agree with the direction the team is going. And just saying that value statement allows it to be heard.
1: Welcome to Difficult Conversations, lessons I learned as an ICU physician with Dr. Anthony Orsini. Dr. Orsini is a practicing physician and president and CEO of The Orsini Web. As a frequent keynote speaker and author, Dr. Orsini has been training healthcare professionals and business leaders how to navigate through the most difficult dialogues. Each week, you will hear inspiring interviews with experts in their field who tell their story and provide practical advice on how to effectively communicate. Whether you are a doctor faced with giving a patient bad news, a business leader who wants to get the most out of his or her team members, or someone who just wants to learn to communicate better. This is the podcast for you.
2: Well, hi, everyone. This is Dr. Anthony Orsini, and welcome to another episode of Difficult Conversations, Lessons I Learned as an ICU Physician. You know, when I started this podcast, I made a promise to myself and a promise to you that each and every episode will not only be informative, but inspiring as well. And I've been very fortunate to have some great guests whom I admire and I respect. And today is no exception. We are very lucky today to have Kathy Caprino with us. Kathy is an internationally recognized career and leadership coach, a writer, a speaker, an educator dedicated to the advancement of women in business. A former corporate vice president, Kathy is now a trained marriage and family therapist and a seasoned executive coach. She's a senior Forbes contributor and the author of two amazing books, Her most recent book titled The Most Powerful You, Seven Bravery Boosting Paths to Career Bliss, was just released on July 28th and is now available on Amazon and other outlets. Kathy's core mission is to support a finding brave global movement that inspires and empowers women to close their power gaps, create more impact and make the difference they long to in the world. Kathy is the founder and president of Kathy Caprino LLC, a premier career coach and executive consulting firm offering career and leadership developing programs and resources for professional women. Her Finding Brave podcast is in the top one hundred on Apple. Kathy is a former TEDx speaker, and by the way, I checked it out; it was great. She's a frequent keynote speaker and top national media source on women's issues, careers, and leaderships. Well, that's quite a resume. I think I'm going to have to take a. A second to catch my breath. Wow. (laughs) A lot of words. Oh, well, welcome. Uh, I I must say it's quite an honor to have you Uh, on this very recently launched podcast. I'm a big fan of yours. And I think the last I checked, you had 130 episodes, maybe even more.
1: Yes,
0: I have. And and I can't thank you enough for having me. I'm so honored and grateful, Tony. Thank you.
2: Well, that's really impressive. And I, and I know it's a lot of work now from personal experience. So.
0: It's more work than people understand, I think, but
2: it's, certainly, it's but rewarding. I recommend your podcast to everyone. Uh, it's, it's really great. So I have so many questions for you. And I want to talk about your latest book. But in full disclosure, we're recording this in early July. So the book is actually not out yet but I've already pre-ordered mine on Amazon and I can't wait for it to come. Oh, thank you. But you and I first got to know each other, I guess it was about six months ago when you were doing a Forbes piece on the keys to navigating tough conversations with employees. And I remember calling you afterwards just to follow up and you were so easy to speak to. We had a great time. We shared stories with each other. I think I looked up at the clock, it was 45 minutes later. And we built Instant Rapport. It was it was just great. So when I decided to do this podcast, I said, you know what? I wonder if Kathy will do it. So you were the one of the first people that I thought about. Oh,
0: it. that's so kind. Thank so, you. We did have a great chat. I think it could have gone on for hours, Tony.
2: Yeah, it was so easy.
0: It really was. Thank you for that. But I think we see things similarly in terms of how we talk to people, how we connect, right?
2: And it's all about communication, and that's why I started this podcast, because I'm just fascinated by the way people communicate. It's just amazing. Or people can't communicate. I'm also fascinated about that also. Yeah, there are gaps. So before we talk about your book and get into all the questions, because I have so many questions for you, You know, I know your story because we shared it that day on the phone, and many people do. But for those people that don't, could you just spend a few minutes to tell us about your personal journey and and how you got to be where you are right now.
0: Hmm, thank you. I'd love to. Quick story, long story short, I had an 18-year corporate career, marketing, publishing, membership services, and on the outside, it was successful. On the inside, it was not. And I had bumps all along the way, rough, rough experiences. But when I hit 40, they They became crises, truly. So I faced sexual harassment, gender discrimination, toxic colleagues, narcissistic bosses, and who knew what narcissism was? I didn't until I became a therapist and I'm I'm like, oh, oh, that's what happened. Narcissism, zero work-life balance. I was chronically ill for every three months or four months. I'd get an infection of the trachea as a physician. I know you know what that is. But no one could help me. They're like, here, take antibiotics. It was such a mess, Tony. And not in the fabric of my young kids' lives, but honestly, more painful than all of that was waking up and thinking, is this the work I'm going to be doing? This? this It was meaningless to me, except for the paycheck, which was big. So I knew I had to make a change and I tried, I saw a therapist, I saw a career counselor. I couldn't do it because at 41 with two kids and a big house, what are you gonna do? Number one, most people don't even know what they would do if they could, if they won the lottery. I couldn't figure it out. So what happens when we don't move forward on our own, the universe stepped in. One month after moving to this bigger home in a more affluent area was 9-11 and one month later I was laid off. And this is one thing we were talking about. It was so brutal to me how it was done. And it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't abusive. It's just when you think you're a valuable person in an organization and you are kicked to the curb. And when the conversation leaves you feeling less than and confused, it's devastating. So I will make this brief, but it was a breakthrough moment for me. I said, I've had enough. I've had enough of not feeling in control, not feeling valued, not feeling I could be myself. And I became a marriage and family therapist, which was life-changing in and of itself. This is how I've learned so much about empathy and communication and how you really match with someone and help them. And you can't help someone if you're judging them and looking down on them, right? But then I, I have to say, I found coaching, career coaching, and especially for women, And I've been doing that for 15 years and it is the most rewarding thing in the world. But this book is a culmination of what I've seen that is an epidemic of powerlessness, Tony, for women. So there are seven damaging power gaps that I'm seeing every day. And I did a survey just to check that it wasn't just my self-selecting pool and 98% of the women surveyed are having at least one of these gaps. And over 75% have three or more. And when you have these gaps, you can't thrive at the highest level. So that's my
2: story in three minutes. Well, it's an amazing story. And I know you can go on and on forever. <laughs> and and I can talk I can talk to you forever. So mm-hmm. it's it's great. So you talked about the life-changing moment, how that conversation, you speak about toxic bosses in your first book, and you talk about the way that you were let go. How'd that conversation go? And now that you're a coach, how do you think the conversation could have gone better? Because part of this podcast, even though I'm a physician, I've trained some HR professionals and we have Dr. Larry Barton coming on in a few weeks, who is a crisis management expert. and, And we talk about how to let people go with compassion. How do you think that conversation could have gone better Yeah, if it could?
0: I would like to talk about that, but can I talk about the context too? Sure. Anyone who's listening as a manager and leader has to understand this. And if you haven't been through it, you can't really understand it. But after 9-11 happened, we heard that a lot of people would be laid off. So, and they tried to do it quickly, but I think it was a good three weeks that closed doors. Everyone thinking, was it, is it me? 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 And when you are in that scenario, it's so scary, especially if you have big financial responsibilities, right? So first of all, you're scared to death and you're thinking, could it be me? It can't be me. And so I just wanna say this one thing, why this was all so hard. I make friends with everybody. That's just my Greek Italian nature, as you can (laughs) see, everybody. And the office manager who got all of our equipment, and, and I was a vice president then, He was a good friend of mine. And the day we were going to hear who it was who got laid off, he couldn't look at me. (laughs) I could Mm. just cry. So the very first devastating thing is don't make people wait like this. Don't do something different where we're not all wondering, am I going to be dumped? When he ignored me, I was sick to my stomach. So I knew they were going to tell everybody the next day. And what I heard was you were going to get walked out. You were going to have 30 minutes to get everything, get stripped of your card key in your computer
1: oh, Wow, that's and,
0: le- and be walked out like a criminal. Yeah. Okay, people do not do it like that. Okay. So how did I learn this? Another vice president who was a great friend of mine, he said he knew he wasn't one of them. This was the night before. And I said, can you go find out if I am? Hmm. And he came back and he was this burly. I loved him, loved him. Burly man's man. He actually sat down, talk about difficult conversations, and he had a tear in his eye. This man, who I never saw a vulnerable moment for two years, and he said, "It is you." And you know, you're full of these emotions. You want to throw up. You how can it be? There's rage. And so I said, "Would you go back and ask the boss? Would he do it now, so that I can leave with some dignity and have some time?" And the boss said, "Yes." So. I went in to talk to him. And this is why it's so painful. And anyone who's had, I'm not saying this guy was a narcissist, but anyone who has had emotional manipulation in their life is going to know what I mean. I said, why? Why me? Because I'd had great promotions, a huge promotion, big raise. Why would you be laying me off? And he said, I did some speaking around and I talked to two people who work with you and they said you're difficult to work with. And what's really difficult is, you know, when you're being gaslighted, you know, that's a term in narcissism mm-hmm. of all the people I work with, you chose the two people that I don't like and who don't like me. So BS, you are just <laughs> covering your, Yep. And, and when you're being gaslighted in that way, it's so, I just shake even thinking about it don't BS me. So number one, in a difficult conversation, don't lie to cover your tush. That's how it felt. Now, am I right? I don't know. I, I, you know, we have been in touch and I didn't want to go there. It's painful. But the second thing he said that I will never forget and I learned never to do, he said, you know, I I think the world of you and this is harder for me than it is for you. Hmm. No, it isn't. And Tony, we were talking about this. Don't Ever say something like that to someone you are giving terrible news to. And you know why that's so bad? Uh, I was just thinking about this earlier. I learned this as a therapist. Frankly, I think we should all have therapeutic training. Everything you share with someone should not be for your benefit. It should be for their benefit. If, I mean, not in a friendship. Of course, you're going to be honest and open. But when you're delivering that kind of bad news, it should not be about him and his feelings how dare you and how not empathetic i just bought a huge house because this company told me to do it the president told me to buy the biggest house i could buy so you've just stripped away a lot of my future and you're saying you feel worse about it than i do it's, amazing. it's so angering tony <laughs> so what, what do you, i know you have uh, books about this you have years of training about what do you think about what i'm saying here
2: well you're right on and I've been training doctors and nurses how to have difficult conversations. I started out by training doctors how to give bad news. And there are certain words or phrases. And I was thinking about this when you were speaking that are just no-nos and you don't say them. Sometimes people say words that are phrases that they don't mean what they're really saying. And maybe they're just nervous and maybe would take that back now. I don't know, but there's certain phrases. When you tell someone they have cancer and they start to cry and you, the doctor says, I understand. The patient turns around and says, why, you have cancer too?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: How could you possibly understand? In my field as a physician, as a neonatologist, a mother loses her baby, her baby dies. And you hear doctors and nurses, and they don't mean anything by it, Kathy, but they're saying, I understand. And I go, no, don't ever say that. Wow. You can switch the words around and say, because I know this is what you mean, just say, I can't imagine what you're going through right now. It's comforting. And, and, you know, physicians, when I teach physicians and and even business leaders, they hear these phrases and they go, Oh, I like that. I'm going to use that one, you know, but there's certain things that you say, my mother-in-law, just a quick story. My my mother-in-law who recently passed away when she was this little old Italian woman who was very quiet believe it or not, an Italian woman that's quiet, right? <laughs> so you're Italian, I'm Italian, so I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. But she was very quiet and she never really spoke a bad word about anyone. But when she had her third child, it was the third day. In those days, you stayed in the hospital for like a week when you had a baby. Oh, no. Great. And on the third day, the nurse didn't bring the baby to her. And she said, where's my baby? And the nurse just said, well, the doctor will call you. Oh, no. About half hour later, the doctor calls. He doesn't come in. Calls on the phone? Calls on the phone, and he says, and she tells the story, and he says, um, you know, your baby died last night, and he says, I'm sorry, and he says, you know, these things happen, which was the first thing, and the next thing was, you're young, you could have other children. So when my mother-in-law told that story, this kind little gentle woman still refers to him 60 years later as the a-hole who... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Who told her that? You know, and, and if you heard oh. her curse, it's it's actually funny when you hear this woman curse because there's certain things and words that you can just change and you can learn. And for you, it was you know this hurts me more than you. That'll never leave your mind, right? So, right. Uh,
0: what a story! I I want to riff on that for a second. Could I? Mm-hmm. Sure. Because you've said something really important. When people share, if they're kind, decent people, I don't mean narcissists and fools. But if they're kind, they're what's coming out of their mouth is their way of making you they they think they're making you feel better. I want to tell you, I was talking to my son, my twenty-two-year-old son, about this one yesterday. Here it is. And and I really want people to understand this. My 96 year old mom has just recovered from COVID.
2: Wow. God yeah. bless her.
0: God bless her. What a warrior spirit. But you know, there's other issues about, you know, that come about in terms of an older person that doesn't move for four months in her room, you know, there's other issues, but this is what people have said to me twice in two times in my life. My dad was 93 when he died of cancer that spread everywhere and dementia. It was hellacious to watch this man. Thank you uh, fade who is so brilliant and wonderful. And here's what people said, Tony, I can't tell you how many people said it. Well, You know, he lived a great long life. I can't tell you how angering that is. And Mm. I was telling my son about my mom that people have said, I said, mom has COVID. And they're like, well, how old is she? Yeah. Wow. And I say 96. And they're like, well, you know, she's lived a good long life. I want to tell people, don't ever say that because the reality is yes, 93 and 96, it's a long life, but that isn't what I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about having lost my dad, or I'm talking about the idea that I could lose my mother without seeing her. I don't care how old she is. And my son and I were talking that, well, mom, so many people have lost their parents at much younger ages. If you've lost your father at 60, when he was 60, or your mother at 80, to them, 93, 96 is amazing. But see again, Tony, it's about them. Yes. So he said, gosh, mom, I think I probably would have said that trying to make someone feel better. And I said, well, here's what I want to teach. You need to communicate in a way that you validate what the person is feeling, not what you're feeling. And we don't need statistics like the doctor going, look, this stuff happens and you're young. We don't need data.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Would you agree with that? Is that a helpful teaching
2: moment? I think we say things sometimes out of being nervous because no one likes to have these difficult conversations. No one really knows what to say when you tell them that your 96 year old mother has COVID. And, but what I teach communication is think about here's what I want to say to you. It's not about you. And sometimes we say things because we feel like we have to say something. You know, in the words of Rabbi Kushner, who was the man who wrote when bad things happen to good people, when you don't know what to say, say you're sorry and then shut up. And I think that's great advice. And I quote him all the time. Love it. There's so many phrases that really hurt. So I think that's fantastic. And it, that's great.
0: May I offer one other thing, Tony? Yeah. I have a friend who had cancer and she told me that she's never felt so alone because she would walk in the grocery store and her friends, when they'd see her, they would go the other way. And it's because they didn't know what to say. And she knew that, but it made her feel so, alone. so Here's something I say, just like Rabbi Kushner saying, you know, say, I'm sorry and shut up. Sometimes that doesn't feel like enough. Like if we say, oh, I'm so sorry, Tony. Mm-hmm. What I always say when I don't know what to say is, how are you holding up?
2: Perfect. Mm-hmm.
0: So you tell me how you're doing. And then, you know, most often they share because a lot of people don't ask them how they're really doing. So that can be another one you can have in your toolbox. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's referred to when people ignore you, someone referred to that as the Bush's effect. He said he had just found out his son had cancer. And every time he came home, his neighbors would jump in the bushes because mm-hmm. they didn't know what to say and they were trying to hide from him. So wow. it's it's common. So wow. <laughs> very interesting stuff. But I want to move on to a couple other things uh, because I know you're busy. You talk about in your first book, Breakdown and Breakthrough, giving. you say that hating what you do mm-hmm. is giving yourself up. It's giving the power to someone else. During my communication workshops, I talk about physician burnout, professional burnout. And there is a a clear epidemic of physician burnout right now. It's about 60%. Wow. Physicians are the highest rate of suicide of any profession right now. Is that and right? That's correct. Yeah. It's been like that for a couple of years now. And I kind of say it differently than you say it. Like, What happens in medicine right now is that physicians used to have control of how they practice medicine, their hours, they were entrepreneurs, if you would, they had their own practices. Medicine right now is very task oriented. You're pushed to be efficient. And what happens is, and I always quote, when people act contrary to their beliefs and core values, burnout increases. And you were telling your story about how you just hated what you were doing. And I think there's a real good parallel. There's a lot of parallels between what I do and what you do. There's a real good parallel because what happens to physicians is they realize I went into this to heal. I went into this to form relationships and I want to comfort. And what am I doing? I'm being forced to see 25 patients in two hours. And so what happens is we go home as physicians and we don't understand what's going on, but we've done a good job, but we feel empty. We go home because... Mm -hmm gee, I did really good. Maybe I saved a couple lives. Maybe I, I really helped people. But in the end, why do I feel so empty? And it's that emptiness is because I, I wanted to bond with my patient a little more. And so hmm. we're actually teaching doctors and nurses to spend that extra minute. And it, and it is literally an extra minute to feel more fulfilled about their job. And so wow. I just want to know what your comment is about that.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Oh, I feel so much for the the healthcare community right now? Well, it's
2: really everyone who is not fulfilled. It's It's, it's what happened yes. to you, right?
0: Well, what's interesting, I haven't ever heard
2: this before.
0: I think why so many, I'm right there with you that when your values aren't aligning with how you're being made to work, what I see with career professionals is they feel either like an imposter that I don't really know enough or what you're asking me to do, I don't know how to do well enough. Number two, I thought I liked this work, but this company is so toxic and the outcomes that I'm being made to deliver, I don't care about. So there's a misalignment or a disconnection. It's not exactly what you're talking about that I can't make relationships, but from a lot of people like for me in a number of years, I can't be who I am, who I really am. Like I'm a loving, caring, person and I'm gentle and I'm compassionate. And I remember in one of these jobs, that wasn't appreciated. That wasn't what we wanted in that role. That's not what they wanted. And I talk about six dominant action styles that I've seen people take or follow in terms of pursuing goals and achieving those goals. Striver, seeker, pacer, researcher, challenger, advocator. So for instance, if you're an advocate, you're like a striver, you get things done, you'll climb any mountain, but You have to be doing work that's advocating for something bigger than yourself. If you can't do that, if you're one of these styles and that style isn't allowed, I'm a seeker, you know, I just want to learn and I don't want to just all get it done and it's all about the goals. If you can't pursue those styles in your work, you're going to be miserable, but you're not going to know why. So it's interesting. I think in the physician world, it sounds like people understand clearly. I'm being treated like a robot.
1: Absolutely. That
0: I got to come in, do it, and leave. I think for corporate professionals, it's a myriad of things that are going wrong that don't fit with their soul.
2: Yes, I agree. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You, you talk about it in your book also, and I want to get to your new book, but standing up for yourself and how especially women don't do that or are not good at it, and you give a variety of, of reasons. How do you coach that, Kathy? How do you coach to stand up yourself? And I'm a big person on body language. You know, 70% of language is nonverbal. And when I train people on communication, I tell them, you can use all the right words, right? You can tell them exactly what to say, but if they're saying it and their nonverbal language is meek or scared, it doesn't matter because 70% of it is nonverbal. and, And that's the message you're going to give, regardless of whether I give you a script or not. How do you coach that to your... To your students.
0: So, two things. Of the seven gaps that the most powerful you book talks about, one is, commu- number two is communicating from fear, not strength, which women, 70% have said they suffer with. And number five is acquiescing instead of saying stop to mistreatment. So, I want to talk about women for a minute. There's a lot of research. I'm not making this up. A lot of data about how. When girls hit about 12 or 13, they go underground. Their voice goes underground. They were on par with boys before that in terms of thinking they were leaders, interested in STEM topics, you know, all of it. But at 13, it changes. So what I ask women to look at, and, you know, I teach a course and I see them, 30 people on my Zoom call once a week. You can see everything, right? You can hear it. You can see them looking down. You can see how afraid they are. But the communicating from fear, not strength, the first thing I ask women to look at is where are you weakening your message? And I don't, I don't necessarily train about eye contact. I get to the core of where are you communicating generally from fear? So where are you over apologizing? Tons of research that women say, you know, I'm sorry, exponentially more than men. And it's true, really. I'm sorry about everything. They weaken their message, for instance, when they're about to say something in a meeting, you know. I'm not sure this is right, but you know, if you are saying that you're broadcasting, don't listen to me, right? Or you allow people, often men, to cut you off. So for instance, I'll train. Listen, if you're continually cut off, here's what you say. Oh, thanks, Fred. That's an interesting point. I I would like to finish. I wasn't done with my point very calmly, but there's also this amazing thing I learned when I interviewed these guys, the behavioral science guys, Joseph Granny and David Maxfield. When they showed a video of a woman saying a forceful thing and another video to another audience of a man saying the same forceful thing, I don't agree with the direction the team is going. Her perceived competence dropped exponentially and her perceived dollar value dropped exponentially compared to the guy saying this exact same thing. So what they studied, and here's the end of the story here, is Are there statements you can make before you're about to make a forceful statement that isn't going to go over well, that is going to mitigate the backlash? So I teach this a lot. What they found is if you make a value statement, it works better. So for instance, you might say in that situation, I really value honesty and transparency. So I have to share. I don't agree with the direction the team is going. And just saying that value statement allows it to be heard better rather than people feeling slapped down because everybody wants their ideas to be accepted. We're all weak. (laughs) Well, I don't know if that's 100% true. We're all vulnerable. (laughs) We all want validation. So when you say, I don't agree, you're going to get a rise out of people. So there are ways you can say things that will mitigate the backlash, but we must say the difficult things. We must.
2: I'm a big person on tone and and body language. I don't know if you're familiar with Amy Cuddy. She's a. I
0: love Amy Cuddy. uh, The
2: the power stance, right? She's awesome, right? Yes. And and she's done studies to prove that if you just stand in front of a mirror before you have that conversation, you're actually will be more confident that she measured cortisol levels and testosterone levels. And she's brilliant. I love love Amy Cuddy. But it's really the nonverbal and the tone of your voice. There's a great study at a, a sociologist, I think her name is Nina Ambady. She did a study trying to predict which doctors would have malpractice lawsuits. And so she took 36 surgeons. About half of the surgeons had been sued multiple times. The other half had never been sued for malpractice. And she put little cameras in the patient's rooms. And she videotaped and audiotaped the surgeon going in for a routine visit, just, hi, it's Dr. Orsini. Then she took those, those interactions She put it in a machine that analyzed just tone, Tone. not the words, just the tone. And the machine predicted which doctors were sued multiple times and which doctors weren't just by their tone. And what was the tone? Harsh? Harsh, condescending, harsh. She had a whole bunch of things. And then she did something really cool. She just showed the videotape to people with no audio. And And they were able to pick the ones that were sued. So these people were blowing it both ways. So I teach that to physicians because- When you're having a serious conversation, you're having a difficult conversation with someone, you don't want a doctor who looks meek. You don't want a doctor who looks confused. You don't want a doctor that says maybe. You know, I always tell physicians, the word think should never come into your language. Take that out. You shouldn't say, I think you have cancer. Because the response is going to be, well, what do you mean? How about knowing? (laughs) Why don't you you find someone who knows? That's going to be the answer, right? But you can change that one word and you can say, I'm very concerned. I looked at your chest x-ray and I'm very concerned that you have cancer. It means the same thing. It means I'm not 100% sure.
0: I got to ask a question, Tony. I got to ask. Yeah. Where I was going with what you were saying was that I bet you these people are narcissists because narcissists has zero ability to sit in other people's shoes. So they're saying it in ways that are so off-putting. And But I don't think that's what you mean, do you? You're talking about doubt. Insecurity. Is that it? Is that what was coming out that made these people get sued?
2: Oh, you're going back to the to the lawsuit. Right? Yeah. So no, what made people get sued is people generally don't sue for malpractice because of bad outcomes. They sue for malpractice because they're angry, because they feel that they didn't have that relationship.
0: I bet these people are narcissists. We need to go back on that study and overlay narcissistic tendencies.
2: It could be. In fact, the study is in the famous book, Blink. He refers to that study and how insurance companies, instead of setting malpractice rates by your record of how many times you've been sued, insurance companies are moving towards just analyzing doctor-patient relationships to set the malpractice rate. Because if you have that tone, if you have that empathy in your voice, you're less likely to get sued. So it's, it's fascinating.
0: Do we have time, Tony? Can I talk about this too?
2: We have as much time as you want. Oh,
0: good.
1: Three hours.
0: (laughs) So sometimes, and it happens less and less with me now, but every once in a while, I will have a coaching client who does something that's inappropriate for me. So for instance, someone said that I came late to a meeting to, and I was late, eight minutes, and I had said I would give her eight minutes. And she said she was so rattled that she wanted a complete redo. I'm not going to go into that for a minute, but I am going to go into, um, the answer was no, that is not going to happen. And there was, and I'll give you another example. There was one guy, we were talking about, you know, how to change careers and he wasn't taking the, the advice, the coaching, he wasn't taking the steps. And all of a sudden in, a, in one morning, I get a lambasting email. You're not helping me at all. He lost it. And I do think, you know, he told me he suffers from bipolar. I think this was a bipolar moment. So I want to say that in all of these times that, and I've grown in this, when someone attacks me or asks for something that I feel, you're not going to get it. And I think the guy might've even said, I want a refund. There are no refunds for working with me. And I make that very clear. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you can see 500 videos of me in podcasts and you can check out my approach, right? It's the approach works. But I wrote to him, I got upset, but I wrote to him and said, I hear in your voice how angry you are. I hear it. I don't think I said, I understand. I hear it. And this is what I would like to share. And then I was very clear and very calm that this is not how I see what has gone down in our coaching. And here's what I see has happened. And number three, if I ever get an email from you like this again, we will be done. And there, as you know, there are no refunds. But I'm here if you would like to have a conversation. I would love to talk on the phone. This was before Zoom. But I was calm. I was not judgmental and cruel. But I laid it on the line here. Mm -hmm. I will not get another one of these emails. And he, two hours later, wrote, I am so embarrassed. I was having a very bad morning and I was so overwhelmed and I I see now. And I think I said, I would like you to read this again, your email, Mm -hmm. from a really calm place and tell me what you would do if I sent this to you. And he said, I'm mortified. So. Why, you know, am I saying I'm the best communicator in the world? No. However, I've had to hone it a lot in working with people that want things that aren't appropriate to give them. But I think the keys are stay compassionate, stay understanding, but be very clear what you will and will not accept. And you don't have to, somebody once said, and I say it all the time, you can say anything when you say it with love in your heart. I would say a lot of people go love. I don't have love at work. Come on now. I think you can say anything when you say it with compassion in your heart.
2: And, And there's a difference between, we use the word empathy and compassion interchangeably, but there's a difference. There is a difference. Empathy is understanding someone's pain, right? But compassion in Latin, compassion means with pain. It means feeling someone's pain. And before you're going in to have that difficult conversation, it would really help if you just take a minute to pretend or feel like you're the other person. Like what's it coming like? What's it from their point of view? And with emails in reference to what you just said, people don't do that because they just rattle off an email. They hit send. And in the old days, when I was younger, you wrote a letter, a nasty letter. And by the time you mailed it the next morning, you ripped it up. But people don't do that with emails. They hit send and then they regret it. So put yourself in the other person's shoes, I think is great advice for someone who's having those difficult conversations. So
0: and isn't there also another, there's a lot of research on, didn't they do it in the whatever, what, in the fifties, this, they recruited a team of people to turn a dial and ostensibly the person that you couldn't see was feeling a shock and, you know, an electric shock. And, you know, the instructor said, turn it up. And you'd hear it was an actor, but they didn't know that. You'd hear the person screaming and the instructor, no, turn it to 10. And they're screaming, ah, What they found is when you're not seeing the person, you are going to follow instructions even to the detriment or even to the death of another person. So another piece is get on a Zoom call with them. Don't fire off an email. Look them in the eye.
2: There's the body language again, the nonverbal cues. It's so important. And the energy of the person, you know? Exactly, exactly. So, well, before we finish, though, I want you to tell me by the time this airs, I'm already going to have read it but I haven't read it yet. So tell me what I should expect when I read this book and how's it different from your first book? Oh, thank
0: you for asking. So The Most Powerful You is about, and it comes from the 10 years of research on what, here's how it happened. I was looking at, why is it? So I've worked with thousands of women, right? Around the world. I sat back and said, I don't get it. How is it possible that all of these women at every, um, first of all, country level, socioeconomic level, education level, field? How are they coming with the same problems over and over and over again? And here's the question I wanted to answer. Number one, what is missing in their lives and work that they're coming to me for help with? And number two, what is coaching with me giving them? And the answer was bravery and power. That's what is missing. And when I ask women Tell me about power. A lot of women have said, I don't want power. And I say, why not? And they say, because it's abused. So that is the biggest lesson that I wanted to share, that you can't have what you want in this life without internal and external power. But I'm not talking about power over. I'm talking about power to, power to create, power to impact, power to change. So, and bravery in my view is The ability to recognize what isn't working and take accountability for what you can change. Power is the ability to change it. So uh, this book is the seven damaging power gaps. And what I love about it, you know, all of us who are in thought leadership or doing podcasts, it's fun to hear yourself talk for a while, but it's much more fun to hear other people's messages and strategies and and research. I find so the book talks about not only my coaching strategies, but it's every chapter is a real life client or course member who, how she suffered having the gap and how she overcame it and what she did. And it talks to 30 plus of the nation's top experts in things like Susan Cain, introversion, Terry Real, what it is to live in a patriarchal society and what that does to both men and women. And Judy Robinette about how we need to network in the right room and network up and Ivan Meisner about networking. So It's really powerful and I'm so proud of it. I have to say it's a culmination of 10 years and I think every woman on the planet should read it and I think men who, men have these gaps too. They just process them a little differently but I think also if you lead and manage, you need to read it because you need to understand, speaking of empathy, you need to understand the internal lives of the women you're leading and what they're going through in certainly male-dominated organizations and careers but even in the patriarchal world we live in.
2: Yeah. You know, you just hit upon something else too, the difference between a manager and a leader. And wow, I'm trying to really get the message out because I've had some toxic bosses, as you call them, and I've had bosses that I would walk through fire for. Mm. And the difference is how they communicated with me, how they made me feel, how they valued me. They didn't try to push me down to make themselves look better. They tried to lift me up to make themselves look better. You know, I always say if the person you hired becomes great, you can still say, Hey, I was smart enough to hire her. (laughs) You know, you can still take the credit. You don't have to push them down. And so it's, it's really important that we, we learn communication in business and how those conversations go. So I'm so excited to read your book. I can't wait for it to come. Thank you,
0: Tom. Thank you
2: so much. This has been great. If you want any more information, you can contact Kathy at KathyCaprino.com and her podcast, Finding Brave is available on Apple. It's been a pleasure and boy, you did not disappoint. This was oh. a great interview. Thank you again. If you like this podcast, please go ahead and hit the subscribe button. If you want to find out more about what we do and how we teach communication, you can contact me at the Hopefully, you'll listen again every week, and I'm excited, and thank you again, Kathy.
0: Thank you so much, and thank you for the work you're doing in the world, Tony. It's so meaningful. Thanks for having
2: me. Thank
1: you. That means a lot. All right. Bye. Bye. And great. Good luck. Stay safe. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment and review. To contact Dr. Orsini and his team or to suggest guests for future podcasts, visit us at theorsiniway.com.